Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 today. Joshua chapter 3. I encourage you to come ready to engage in God's Word um, throughout our time together. We, uh, this is the pinnacle of our service. I don't know that I would say that anything in this service is more important than the other. Uh, I would say that this is our greatest expression of worship is when we come before the Lord with His words open and we uh, bow before Him and uh, we submit our lives to Him. And so I encourage you, uh, as, I would, as I do my own children, I encourage you to come with a Bible, with a pen, with something to engage with God's Word. If it's the greatest, it's the greatest treasure we have. For many of the most special moments in life, preparation is very important. When it comes to marriage, many couples invest wisely in preparing themselves for that most important human relationship in this life. When it comes to having children, we paint rooms We have baby gender reveals, we have baby showers, and we try to do our best to prepare individually or as a couple for the gigantic and wonderful mission of raising children for God's glory, but every parent gets into parenting and realizes they could never have prepared for what they have in front of them. Athletes spend an entire off-season preparing themselves for the grind of a regular season and the hope of playoffs or a championship, Super Bowl. Students spend a significant amount of time in preparation for tests, certifications, for their career, for licenses. See, preparation is a very important step in the process of accomplishing something that really matters. What we see in Joshua chapter 3 is the Israelites' preparation and the eventual crossing of the Jordan River. This is a big moment for Israel's history. In fact, it's a major event up there with what we have often made the, one of the grandest moments for Israel, and that is the crossing of the Red Sea. Well, this moment of crossing the Jordan River is just as important. With the Red Sea crossing in Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel came up to it in a hurry. I read it this week in my Bible reading, reading through the Bible this year. And the hurriness and the, and the worry when, you get to the Red, when they get to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is chasing them. They thought they were going to die. But this Red Sea was a massive moment in Israel, but Psalm 114 tells us that both the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan River crossing were momentous occasions for Israel. Psalm 114 verse 1 says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of a strange land, Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea, the Red Sea saw it. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. This moment in Joshua chapter 3 is up there with the importance of the Red Sea. Joshua 3 and 4 show us the preparation, the crossing, and then the after moments. Next week we'll see the after moments of the crossing of the Jordan River. Both of these moments involve God's miraculous intervention in parting the Red Sea or stopping up the waters of the Jordan. And these two chapters, these two chapters, Joshua 3, Joshua 4, they don't spend much time on the crossing. You'd think a grand moment would get a lot of time of Scripture. 
We'll get a lot of mileage. But it's done in just a few verses. Just like it was in Exodus 14 in the crossing of the Red Sea. Just a few verses for the actual moment. The focus is on the preparation and the celebration. The focus of chapter 3 is on the preparation for crossing the Red Sea. And the focus of chapter 4 is on the celebration of the crossing of the, excuse me, of the Jordan River. Mainly today, as we look at chapter 3, we're going to see the preface for the crossing. Along with the crossing itself, we'll examine some things that we see for the first time in Joshua that you and I need to understand. We need to remember that Joshua is about... This book is about the faithful God giving His people the land that He's promised them. And so what He's about to do is God's fulfillment of His promise. So what's about to transpire, the first event after the wilderness wanderings, is this major moment of the Jordan River. This passage, this passage in chapter 3 and even the book of Joshua are telling us a story. And so as I have done already, I want to do my best to simply break it up into headings. While examining the story, we'll kind of tell it like we're sitting around at bedtime telling a story and we will walk away with some truth statements in conclusion for our own application and edification. So number one in the first breakdown I give you in this passage is the initial preparations for the crossing. So bear with me. We're going to work through the story here and I'm going to talk very fast. And so you're going to have to just try to track with me. Notice in verse number one of chapter three, this is God's word. And Joshua rose up, rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now, we're going to put up a map. We're going to put up a map a few times today. So here's the first map. You see the children of Israel are uh, lodged. Uh, uh, that's not the map I need. If you could find me the other map. Uh, there we go. That's the one I need. Uh, this is uh, where the children of Israel have lodged. Here's the Jordan River. This is, this is Shittim. This is where they have been. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And here's where they're going to cross. And there's Jericho and, and Gilgal, and we'll see all that in coming, in coming weeks. The children of Israel had been in this place called Shittim since the defeat of Og and Sihon, which we heard about from Rahab. She references it. It happened in Numbers chapter 21. This is where the children of Israel had been camped for the final days of Moses' life and the early days of Joshua's leadership. As I told you a couple weeks ago, this place called Shittim was not a good place spiritually, Speaking for the Israelites. Notice in Numbers 25, to give you an example. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Uh, there's a spiritual depravity going on in this place. It's not a good place. It's the, if you will, it's the culmination of all the spiritual struggles, struggles of the wilderness wanderings. Before we go further back in chapter, further, uh, I want to go back to chapter 1, and I want to remind you, that Joshua had told the people to prepare for the departure from Shittim in three days. Notice in verse 10 of chapter 1. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go into the to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So in chapter 1, there's a three-day warning that, this, that we're going to take off in three days. We get to chapter 3, and the Joshua and the children of Israel uh, began their trek from Shittim to the Jordan River. And there... They set up camp. They were in that place for three days. Notice in verse 2. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. So three days they are told to prepare to leave Shittim. Three days after they leave Shittim, they camp at the Jordan River. And the officers come through. And here's what, here's what we began uh, to see the officers tell them. Notice in verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, 
and the priests, the Levites, bearing it. Then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Now, all this is preparation. It's the initial preparation before the crossing of the Red Sea. Excuse me, the Jordan River. As you see, the people are told that when they see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, with the Levites bearing it on their shoulders, the people were to leave and to follow them. Now, we need to make clear about the Ark of the Covenant because, as I mentioned, we're going to see some first mentions today. The Ark of the Covenant, it's the first time we hear or see anything about it here in Joshua, and it's a, it's a central figure, a central piece in the book of Joshua. What is it? What is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, without getting too deep into it, the Ark of the Covenant was commanded by the Lord to be built in Exodus 25. Look at Exodus 25 and verse 10. And they shall make an Ark of Shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And, they shall, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and thou shalt, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Now, we're going to throw up a picture of the, uh, of just a, a rendering of the Ark of the Covenant, just to give you a, a tangible picture of it. You see there uh, the Ark. Uh, God has commanded them to build this Ark. It's uh, it's to be two cubits and a half of the length thereof. So the length, the cubit, by the way, is about 19 to 20 inches, give or take. So some project that the Ark of the Covenant is about 52 inches in length, about 31 inches in breadth or width, and about 31 inches in height. There you can see, uh, we'll see in a little bit, the three items that are in the Ark of the Covenant. You see the Ten Commandments, you see the the pot that carried the manna from the wilderness, then you can see the uh, Aaron's rod, Aaron's uh, staff that budded. Now, the ark had a cover that was called the mercy seat. There had to be one cherubim of gold on each ends of the mercy seat. It was important to have the cherubim have their wings spread and facing one another, symbolizing the uh, the angel's attention and readiness to do God's will. But the mercy seat, the mercy seat was where God would dwell. It was where God would dwell. Notice Exodus 25 again, verse 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony. Same language of ark of the covenant. Of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So, this is the ark of the covenant, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in coming weeks, but I want you to get a quick picture of it. The ark of the covenant was not a statue to be idolized. I need to make that very clear. The ark was not a statue to be idolized, but was a religious symbol where the people, it was a symbol where the people could meet with God. There God would dwell over the mercy seat. He was present over the ark when the priests were present. Inside the ark, as I mentioned, were three items, the Ten Commandments, a golden pot of manna from the wilderness, and Aaron's rod that budded. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 says, which had the golden censer. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Now, what was the, this is all in preparation, right? Because we saw there in chapter 3 what the, the officers had commanded. The purpose of the Ark of the Covenant was it served as a reminder of God's presence, that God was dwelling amongst his people, amongst his people. you got to understand, that's a difference in the Old Covenant and New. God dwells amongst his people. In God's presence, there was safety. In God's presence, there was success. 
We'll see that throughout Joshua. This is the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, all of this Ark of the Covenant points us incredibly forward to Christ. The law fulfilled in Christ. The manna, a picture of God's provision and satisfaction that is available in Christ. Aaron's rod that budded, a symbol of verification of the priesthood of who Aaron was. And in Christ is our high priest, Hebrews chapter 4. And so the ark is a, is a pointing not just to God's presence for, under the old covenant, but it's a pointing to God's presence in the new covenant. Let me take you back, though, to Joshua 3, verse number 4. Yet there should be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. So between you and the ark of the covenant, about 2,000 cubits. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. This has everything to do, the people are told, that when you see the ark, in, in verse number 3, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and, and, the, and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then you're going to remove, you're going to get up from your place, and you're going to follow after it. But don't get more than, don't get closer than 2,000 cubits by measure. Why? Why? This has everything to do with the sacredness of the ark and the awesomeness of God's glory. What do we mean by that? We mean that God's presence among the people was not to be taken lightly. They have never been, they've never done what they're about to do. They've never gone where they're going, so they need to follow with their eyes on the very present God. Well, the context here is that if they lived with a proper reverence for the Ark of the Covenant, then they would be shown in which way they would walk, both physically and spiritually. If they lived with a sacred view of God's presence in their life, with a reverence of the presence of God, then they would know where they should go and they would know how they should act. So then Joshua speaks up. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Very quickly, sanctify speaks of being consecrated. Speaks of being holy or sacred. This word isn't used often in the book of Joshua, but holiness is a central concept of the Old Testament. Here it is that the people and priests were to consecrate or sanctify themselves. Now, what was involved in that? What was involved in that for the Jews was rigorous preparation. Included through washings, abstaining from sexual relations, and abstaining from specific foods. And so there is a ritual preparation here that they were to, when it's told to sanctify, to consecrate, to make yourself holy, there was an understanding of what that looked like. Joshua tells them that God is going to do wonders among the people on that, on that next day. This was Joshua's way of saying to them, tomorrow God's going to do something miraculous. Then the priests do exactly what they've been instructed to do. Verse 6, And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went before the people. Now all of this, verses 1-6, through 6, is all about the initial preparation. But secondly, in this, I want you to see that God also prepares Joshua for the crossing. He prepares the people, and He prepares Joshua. Notice in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. Now this is the first time in chapter 1 that we see God speaking to Joshua. Since chapter 1. God confirms what he had said to him before. 
There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Joshua, as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. In doing this, God was, he says there, he's magnifying. He's magnifying Joshua. In the sight of all Israel, he was exalting Joshua. They would see Joshua as the leader. They would see him as the one that God had ordained to bring Israel into Canaan. Now what's interesting about this, listen very carefully, what's interesting about this is Joshua has, Joshua has nothing to do with what God is about to do. Joshua doesn't do anything here. Joshua's role is to simply be obedient to what God has commanded. Joshua's role is simple. Joshua's not told to part the water. Joshua's not told to do anything miraculous. Joshua's not told to be special. God's, Joshua's not told to be awesome. Joshua is told, you do what I tell you to do because God is awesome, Joshua, and you let God magnify you. I don't know, I just want, let me just drop this to you. Do you know that there has never been a biblical command to you to be awesome? You can let go of that pressure to be awesome. It's God's job to be awesome. Go ahead. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you don't have to wake up and look in the mirror and go, today you be awesome. No, you don't need to be awesome. God's awesome. You just do what God's told you to do. God was not exalting Joshua for Joshua's sake. God was exalting Joshua to show that God was with him. Without God's miraculous works, they would not know that God was with Joshua in this special way. And so the, the task in front of them was daunting. But now, now they've got a leader. They've got God who's magnified Joshua. By the way, we see this profoundly in the ministry of Jesus as well. The miracles of Jesus are a picture to us, not only that God was with him, but that he was God. It's a magnifying of who he is. Now this miracle will start, as verse 8 says, as the priests who are holding the Ark of the Covenant will come to the brink of the water, and they're simply going to stand in the Jordan. That's it. Just do that. Easy job, right? You just walk to the Jordan, and you put your feet in the brink of the river, and you let God do the rest. So number three, here in this, Joshua prepares the people for the crossing. Look at verse 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. What does Joshua do in preparing the people? He calls the people to give them the words of the Lord. And he says something of great importance. In this moment, in the Jordan River crossing, they will come to know something by experience. He says, you shall know. That's not an intellectual knowing. You will experience something. What are you going to experience? The living God is among you. The living God, in contrast to the dead gods of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the, and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amazites and the, and the Jebusites, Israel, you're going to experience something. Your God is alive. Nobody had to give your God life because he's always been. And they're going to see this. And so Joshua goes on with some instructions. He says, verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the, Lord of, all the God, of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Behold, look, that's what Joshua says here. The ark was their guide. Verse 12, Now therefore take you twelve men out of your tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. Now, I'm not going to say much about that. We'll see that in verse four of why, or chapter 4, why that was necessary. But then Joshua goes on to explain the wonders he had told them were coming back in verse number 5. Look at verse 13. 
And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of, your, of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. Now this is incredible. How does this happen? Joshua says the Lord of all the earth will do this. Intentional language in the scriptures. God is the sovereign Lord over his creation. He's the one who is in charge of the Jordan River. And so even, and especially here, he is about to give them an incredible miracle because the Lord of all the earth earth will rest the waters, causing them to stop flowing, that they should be cut off and will stand upon and heap. And so now in that moment, Joshua tells them, this is what's going to happen. So we come to the climax of the story. Look with me. Verse 14, we see the crossing of Jordan. It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord. And as they went, as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up and heaped very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot more time on the crossing because I'm going to come back to this next week a little more. But I do want you to note how little time is given for the actual crossing in the passage. Just four verses. Just four verses for this momentous occasion. But the scene is spectacular. When the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water, it dried up. Now this river, which in this area was about 50 to 60 yards wide, was overflowing this time of year as it flowed down from the Sea of Galilee. Can I get that map back up here? Here we go. You can see on the smaller map, you can see the Sea of Galilee. Okay? The Jordan River flows down from the Sea of Galilee right there. And so, all the way down here, God, God was so clever in this that he didn't wait to the lowest portions of the tide, that he intentionally had them cross during harvest when the banks were overflowing. Now, as we, and by the way, the water is cut off, up, here's, here's where the children of Israel are, okay, they're, they're, um, they're over, can I, can I get that last map? Again, there we go. They're right here, okay? It's the Jordan River. Now go back to that one you just had. The water stops up all the way up in this area right here. Here's Jericho. Here's where they're crossing. God stops the water, not there, but he stops it all the way up here. So much so for an entire nation to cross over that river. The priest holding the ark in the middle of the Jordan River on dry ground, and the people pass over. Nothing short of miraculous. As Joshua said, the Lord will do wonders. The living God is seen and known. Now, this is the story of chapter 3. Now, I've, I've hurried through a lot of it because the majority of this is about preparation. We see here that God wants us to understand, by the way, I could probably give you 10 application statements here. I could probably give you 10 application statements here. But what I want to do is I want to focus in on three 
because we're going to spend a lot of time on this even next week. So I want you to, I want to give you some areas of focus. Number one, God focuses more on the preparation than he does on the performance. God focuses more on the preparation than he does on the performance. A, kind, a statement like this is often made out to be too small. The preparation necessary was not and is not so that miracles can be performed for God. But so that we can appreciate the miraculous acts that God has performed among us in our life. Preparation is not for you and I to do wonders for God, but it's so that you and I have the proper perspective to appreciate the wonders that God has already done and will do in our life. Preparation allows us, listen, to cooperate with the miraculous acts of God. Do you know that God wants to do and is going to do miraculous things in our life today, tomorrow? Preparation allows you and I to cooperate with God's miraculous wonders. I wonder, I wonder if we fail to enjoy the miracles of God without a prepared heart. New morning mercies, fresh preparation by time spent with the Lord will prepare us, sanctify us, if you will, for the wondrous works that God wants to do in and through our lives. When we talk about preparation, we talk about this idea of sanctify, to make ourselves and to prepare ourselves and to bring us to a place of consecration to the Lord. I want to ask you, with this, under this, do we, did we prepare our hearts to be in worship with God's people today? I think sometimes on a Sunday, and by the way, I think it might be easy for us at the early service to hurry our way to church. But God desires for us to have a prepared heart. How many Jordan Rivers have been missed because of unprepared hearts? I don't say any of that to make you or make me feel ashamed, but more so that we see the need to sanctify ourselves, to consecrate ourselves to the Lord's work each day. It's why we have stressed some of the simple things. I mean, I've heard it all my life of however you want to coin it with a phrase, your quiet time with the Lord, your time in God's Word, your devotions every morning, the time to be with God's Word. And I would tell you that Sunday, because you're going to hear the Word preached or taught or sung, is not the day to skip that. But it's a day of an emphasis that you and I would prepare our hearts for the gathering of God's people so that when God's word is preached, God's word is taught, when we sing, we come in. I've said it many times, not asking the Lord to fill my heart so that I can leave full, but I came in full so that my heart overflows in church and overflows with fellowship and overflows in worship that what happened on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 is just a continuation of what happened in my heart this morning before I came to church. That we're called to prepare. Hear me. When I talk about preparing, I mean preparing my heart. Preparing my heart not for my performance for God, but preparing my heart to embrace what God is going to do in and through my life. To appreciate what God has already done in the gospel. I can't do that without a prepared heart. 
So I encourage our church, sanctify yourselves. Consecrate yourself. for For the Old Testament Jew, it was through washings. Well, you have been washed by Christ. It was in setting apart from from the physical relationship of marriage. It was abstaining from foods. But now, hear me, now it's the washing of Christ that brings us to God's presence. We are sanctified not just from sin, but now to the Lord. So hear me, can we as a church, can we desire together, can we commit together to be people who sanctify ourselves daily for what the Lord wants to do in our life? To appreciate what He's already done. You didn't cross the Jordan River. Hear me. But Jesus has taken you from the wilderness of sin and into the promised land. That is enough motivation for us to sanctify our hearts before the Lord. One of my favorite hymns written by Fanny Crosby. Draw me nearer. Other title, I am thine, O Lord. She says these words. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. By the power of grace divine, let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. Why why should I let my will be lost in, 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 in the Lord's will? Why should I consecrate myself? Because you've not gone this way before. You've not gone where God has taken you today. You've not gone where God has taken you tomorrow. Hey, parent, you've not raised a, a, a child that's, that's, that's going to be the, where your child's going to go. You've not done this before. And so consecrate yourself to the service of the Lord. Why? Because God is already, go- God is already in the place where you and I are going Without an intentional effort, without an intentional effort to sanctify ourselves, we won't. We won't. Most don't see the importance of preparation because we are a performance-heavy people. So we ignore preparation. We ignore preparation. Can I encourage you before you come to church with hands lifted in praise, go to the Lord with hearts bowed in worship. Before you lift your voice in song at church, lift your voice in prayer and adoration to God at home. Before you go to work tomorrow, get on your knees before the Lord, open your Bible, and spend time with Jesus. Consecrate yourself to His service. You have to consider, as I do, what enemies or idols keep us from a prepared heart. What enemies and idols keep us from a prepared heart? Number two, second statement. Being ark-led is being well-led. Now stay with me on this. Being ark-led is being well-led. Children of Israel were told to behold the ark. Stay back from it and follow. As the ark passes by the people, the people are then to follow it from 2,000 cubits. By the way, that's about 1,000 yards. That's, that's almost 10 football fields. 10 football fields distance. The point here is about living in the sacredness of God's presence. Now understanding that for the Christian. You and I never leave God's presence, and God's presence never leaves us. In fact, truly, we're called to draw near, not to stay back. We're called to draw nigh unto God. Not to stay back. As we understand that, because God's presence never leaves, and 
We never leave God's presence. Therefore, listen very carefully. Let me give you a very practical to this. Every action, every word, and every thought of our life matters as it's done in God's presence. Let us never take that for granted. Let us never take for granted that you and I, because of the, because of the holy mercy of God, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of God's finished work in Christ on the cross, you and I are never pushed away from God's presence, never uninvited, but instead we always live before God's presence. So every action we, we commit, every word we say, every thought that we think matters because it's done in God's presence. Let us not take for granted the sacredness of His presence. Let us also not take for granted the presence of God amongst His gathered people. Let's not be negligent to come with ready hearts when we gather in His name under His banner of love. But I need you to understand when we talk about being ark-led, we need to understand that God's presence rests on the ark. But where? It rests on the mercy seat. Now it's of grand importance because the law, hear me, the law rests inside the ark. The law rests. We've talked about that in our Christian principle. The Ten Commandments were inside the ark. No man can fulfill even one of those grand laws as it all collapses for every person at the very beginning, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It all falls apart right there. So what leads us, when we talk about being ark-led, is being well-led, what leads us through life is, is God's Word. But we know from the psalmist that it is His presence and His presence gives mercy. And that mercy leads us and follows us all the days of our life. And so in God's presence there is duty and responsibility. But hear me, there is also mercy and grace for all of those of us who are desperate for strength and His love. So hear me, what do we mean by all this? We are well led when we are in His presence. When we say His presence, I've already said that we never leave and God never leaves us, but there's a practicing, a practical end of being in God's presence. It's living before Him. It's, it's that we bear our life before the altar of His presence. For there it is as we bear our life before His presence that we behold His wondrous law. But we are all casting ourselves as we behold His law. We cast ourselves on His mercy. So hear me very carefully. To be ark-led is to be led by His words and by His mercy. You're led today by something. In this world, you're led by the law calling you to do. Or by some kind of a cheap mercy that tells you that doing is unnecessary. But hear me, God created us to be led through life by His presence of His words and His mercy. I told you the ark is fulfilled in Christ. The Symbols are fulfilled in Christ. That in Christ we have been brought to the Father. That we live before His presence and we can practice being before His presence. That in practicing His presence we embrace what it means to live by His words. Jesus, echoing the words of the law, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When we talk about God's presence, hear me, God's presence isn't a mystical idea. God's presence is embraced as we live according to His Word, as we live by His mercy. So let us be people of His presence. Lastly, lastly today, the ministry of Joshua and the ministry of the greater Joshua begin at the Jordan River. you got to understand what's going on here. 
the ministry of Joshua began at the Jordan River crossing. It began after the constant failure of the people in the wilderness. And God's presence was seen in Joshua's leadership and ministry, as we saw. The ministry of Jesus began as Jesus comes to the Jordan River, asking John to baptize him. Quickly notice Matthew 3, look, look at verse 13. Then come Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Look down at verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. After the baptism, Jesus, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Listen very carefully. Joshua, his leadership starts at the, at the Jordan River and goes into the promised land. Jesus' ministry starts at the Jordan River and he goes into the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness to pass the test that the Israelites and you and I would always fail. So in the wilderness, for 40 days, Jesus passed every single test. He passed every single test so that He can bring us, hear me, He can bring us into a new nation and a new kingdom. While Joshua and all of Israel must fight the battles to find rest in the land, Jesus fights the battles of sin and temptation so that you and I can find spiritual life, spiritual rest in His sinless life, His death and resurrection. So where Joshua takes a failing Israel across the, promise, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Jesus takes the failing humanity for all those who will come to Him, the greater Joshua, and as he's baptized in the Jordan, he goes into the wilderness. And then he says to all of us, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Christ, we leave one kingdom. Remember? Remember the spiritual depravity of Shittim, the ungodliness of that place? Like Israel, we cross the Jordan River metaphorically through Christ to enter into the land that he has prepared for us. One kingdom crossing over to another kingdom. See, in Jesus' ministry, he accomplishes what Joshua can never accomplish. And that is the finality of peace and rest. This morning I ask you, have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Have you asked Him to save you? Have you asked Him to bring you to the peace and rest that only He can give you? For the Christians in this room, as we look at chapter 3, and we just glean a little bit out of it, we find Joshua is a great example for us. Here's the, here's the truth that you need to rest on. Joshua is an example of one thing, and that is obedience. It's obedience. It's not a perfect obedience, though, and so we need the perfect, obedient Son of God, the greater Joshua. Through Joshua, God fights for His people. Through Christ, God has fought and won victory for His people. And you and I get to walk in that victory. So Jesus, the greater Joshua, has done a greater miracle in saving each of us than He did in parting the waters of the, Red sea, of the Jordan River or the Red Sea. Now listen very carefully. Let me finish here. I asked you about being ark-led. talked to you about being ark-led. And I asked you about the importance of preparation. All of that leads us to this question. 
as we're going to see next week, have we become bored and dull with the miracle that has been done in Christ on our behalf? It's very easy to happen. It's very easy for that to happen in our lives. It's very easy for us to sit here and hear me talk and talk and talk and sit there and wonder, when's he going to be done? It's easy for us to fill our Sundays with a lot of stuff, to fill our lives with a bunch of busyness. It's very easy. It's an intentional Christian life that says, I'm going to sanctify myself. I've been washed by Christ, and I'm going to live unto God's will. Which is what? Being led by God's presence, by His words, by His mercy. To live before His presence. To invite others to enjoy His presence with me. To invite an unbeliever to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can live in God's presence. All of this, as I've told you before, we tend to find ourselves wanting to be like Joshua. I want to be a great leader like Joshua. I want, to, I, want to, I, want to, well, I want some Jerichos in my life. I want some Jordan Rivers in my life. The Jerichos and Jordan Rivers of your life have already been accomplished in Christ. The question is, have you sanctified yourself to where you can enjoy it? To where you can enjoy it? Let's bow in prayer. As we bow in prayer, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, I want to invite you and encourage you to see me at the end of the service. I'll be around. I'd love to tell you how you can know Christ as your Savior. If you're here, I want to ask you, the wonder of the Jordan River, in case, you're, in case you were curious, it became a whatever moment for Jews later. I want to ask you, has Christ's salvation of your life, has it become a whatever moment? Is the gospel just another thing? What causes that in our lives? What's causing that in your life? What idol is keeping you from sanctifying yourself before the Lord? What idol is keeping us men, women, husbands, wives from investing in our Christian life so that we can walk in enjoyment of a miraculous moment of salvation? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.